Welcome to the Music Grind Podcast. This is episode 11. Welcome back to The Music Grind, the podcast where I talk to fellow working musicians to kind of get a day-in-the-life perspective, what it is we do, what they do, um, how they maintain themselves, uh, maintain themselves financially, not, you know, socially. <laughs> I question some of them about that, some of my friends. Um, and it's, man, that joke didn't land at all. Not even here, alone in my room. That was terrible. I'm going to stick to making music. Um, this is the podcast. <laughs> Please uh, subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find it, The Music Grind, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher. And you can uh, follow on Instagram, at Music Grind Podcast. Well, today's guest is a good friend of mine and a great drummer, uh, Lance Cox. He is a Florida native. And he's here in Tampa playing at Bush Gardens, playing wedding gigs, playing uh, original music uh, and some covers. He, he's in a, this really great uh, tribute band that he'll, he'll talk about some more. Dave Hamar uh, is the original drummer in that group. And you can listen to uh, you can listen to his episode. He talks about it a little bit. Uh, but Lance is a freelance drummer and a songwriter now. Um, and he's, you know, he's been around the scene for uh, for a little bit and staying uh, staying working, which is success in my book, and I think in his too. Uh, so he's a successful working musician. We talk about, you know, what what the day in the life is like at at Bush Gardens at a theme park show and um, what it's like on a on a wedding band and this uh, this tribute band, the, the Florida Bee Orchestra. And, and he actually, you know, he brings up a really great point. He mentioned in the interview, you know, the fact of like having good gear. Everybody talks about having gear that sounds good and everybody wants gear that feels good. You want to, you want an instrument that plays well and sounds good. But, uh, you know, it's important sometimes as much as we don't want to admit and even don't like the whole visual, the image thing. And sometimes some of us, I know I do kind of you know, uh, don't like it. And, um, I can't think of the word. We kind of resist it, but he's right. So you gotta have gear that looks good because somebody's wedding that, well, he talks about it. Somebody's wedding that, uh, you know, they're paying good money. You don't want something that's beat up and torn up and just looks terrible. I mean, that's not, that's not really the image you're going for. And so sometimes image is important. He, he brought it to my attention, uh, in this interview and uh, he brings up some other great points, actually. Be sure to listen all the way to the end of this episode. Um, we He actually started telling me this uh, really interesting story about a famous drummer. Um, and I had to hit record again. So there's a little bit extra at the end. Uh, be sure to listen all the way to the end of the podcast. It's a really great story of why we all need to bring our a game even when we don't feel like it especially when we don't feel like it something like this might happen to you so without further ado lance cox lance thanks for thanks for doing this um and welcome to the music grind <laughs> thanks for having me yeah of course uh so um, tell me how you got, how you got started with music, how you started playing. Uh, so for me, it started, I believe I was probably eight, maybe nine years old and my dad was a pastor. So, uh, and we were Pentecostal <laughs> and I think a little bit of it for me was being bored in church, honestly. Bored? Bored. Yeah. And uh, born? And born. Born <laughs> and bored in church. Okay. Uh, but it, you know, back then... Uh, with that type of church, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
Yeah. Tuesday Bible study, Wednesday, uh, you know, meeting. Right. Saturday prayer meeting. So it was a lot of church and um, drumming just seemed really fun and like a cool thing to be, a way to be a part of everything and stay engaged with it. So that's, um, that's kind of how I got my start there. Was there always music at each of those things, that each of those services, there was music? Almost all of them. Uh, sometimes the prayer meeting would be a little more chill. They'd play like a recording or something. Oh, yeah. um, but most of them had live music for at least part of it. Okay. Um, and that ha- that took you like, so your teenage years, you were spent in church as well. Yeah. So I, uh, when I was a kid, I started there and then I started private lessons um, in middle school and started learning how to read and uh, just basic, you know, uh, technique things and stuff that I wasn't really getting from the other more experienced drummer at church. And uh, then in high school did, you know, all the band stuff, jazz band, marching band, symphonic band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, High school where? Uh, Lake Region High School, which is in Eagle Lake, Florida. Eagle Lake. Eagle Lake. It's a very small town. Um, I had a great band director, Don West. He's he's actually now head of, uh, I think, Polk State Music Program and something else. He's a really great director and really... um, of, well, he was a very encouraging person to everyone who actually cared and wanted to try. You know? That's great. So yeah, I had yeah. the same experience. Um, and then, so were you reading at the time? Like, were you? You said like you started taking the formal stuff. So as a kid and in church, you guys weren't reading any kind of hymns or music or anything like that. We weren't reading charts with notation. Um, they had like uh, you know chord sheets. Um, so for church, I wasn't reading, but in, in private lessons, I was working out of like the Ted Reed syncopation book and, um, you know, different snare drum studies books. And then a few, uh, like basic drum set books. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You still, you still have those? Oh yeah. I still, yeah. I think I actually have my original ones and then I think I rebought them at one point so that I would have ones that I wouldn't destroy. So yeah. I have my like old ones with all my teacher's notes and my notes all written in them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, one of the one of the things like I for my experience, I started playing bass. I started playing music really young, also in church. Uh, but then I started playing bass at 13 when I discovered it. And at that point, I knew, OK, I want to do this for a living. I don't care. And yeah. I, I don't even know how, but I, but this is all I'm going to do. Yeah. Do you have that same? Oh, yeah. I, I think um, I think by the time I was in middle school playing, I knew that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. And I, I really wasn't sure how, um, but I, I, yeah, that's all I wanted to do was play. <laughs> so who were your, who were your influences? Okay. So I've asked other people. I haven't asked everybody mm-hmm. yet, but top three influences, and it doesn't have to be drums it, okay. it, because it might not be for yeah. you. The top three influences. So overall, uh, my top three, my first one, and I think if you know, uh, if you know my playing at all, especially when I'm overplaying, <laughs> this one makes a lot of sense. Uh, Carter Beaufort from the Dave Matthews Band is yeah. probably my number one influence. Um, <laughs> and um, there's another drummer. He was a church guy. His name escapes me. It's Scott something. But if you've ever listened to any of like, the Brownsville Revival recordings... I remember like I learned like note for note, everything that guy played on like every recording. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's a huge influence, even though I, I think now I kind of forget about him. <laughs> um, just cause I, I don't know what else he's doing currently, right. you know? Uh, and then more recently, uh, and I hope one day it shows up in my playing. I, Steve Jordan, <laughs> like oh, is yeah? huge. Like I just love everything he does, but you know, I just hope to one day reflect some ounce of that. You know? Yeah. What, what about him? What, what about his playing that, that isn't in your playing right now? I have never heard the man overplay, but I've also never heard him sound boring. Okay. Everything he's that, that I've ever heard of his is just 110% energy, but never is he like inappropriate, you know? Nice. He's just packing energy into every note, you know, and it's, I dig that. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you think you developed that? 
I don't know. I hope I'm developing it now. Uh, I try to glean off the people in my life that I think have a similar uh, thing in their playing, even if they're different, you know, instrument. I think I'm not trying to, you know, butter your biscuit here. I think you're <laughs> one of those people. I think Watts, Shamora, local bass players is one of those people. Um, Alex DeLeon. Like I try to, I think sometimes experiencing it live with guys like you who are kind of doing that same thing is like the best teacher, you know? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. My biscuit is buttered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, all right. So then tell me how you turn, how you turn that from essentially a hobby, you know, as a kid into a profession, because you're doing this full time. Um, you're, all right, let's, let's go through Mm -hmm. You're playing, right? You are, uh, band leader right at bush gardens yeah yes freelance uh, musician and what else anything else that you're uh and i i am in an original project and uh i've done some arranging um and yeah i, I wouldn't necessarily say composition i would call it more like songwriting but okay. um i've done some songwriting and some arranging and um any teaching i did teach in college okay. uh and then once i started kind of like my full or yeah, my full time gig, which is at Bush Gardens, um, I s- kind of stopped. I it's something I think I'm probably going to get back into, especially if and when that gig, you know, eventually when comes it, to yeah. an end. But uh-huh. uh, uh, yeah, I, ha- I haven't necessarily had the need financially for it, and I think when I did it when I was younger, I didn't totally know how to do it, so. It's something that if I got back into, I'd like to get back into it, but I need to learn how to do it, you know? True. Because teaching and playing are very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, um, what, uh, how, oh, how did you, how did you shift into the professional world? So when I was finishing up high school, I had no idea what to do as far as I knew I wanted to play. And the only, path I really saw was going to college somewhere and building connections. And I wasn't sure where I was going to go. I had some complications with some classes I didn't take that kept me from going to some state schools and, uh, um, classes in high school in high and school. They kept you. Okay. I yeah. See. Yeah. So, um, I ended up meeting a guy named Ian Goodman. who's a local drummer. He's an excellent, um, great drummer. Uh, he would have been number four on the influences, um, <laughs> oh, true. Okay. but, uh, he, I met him, I was doing some studio work for the worship leader that I grew up with and he happened to be co-owning the studio at the time. And I remember within like five minutes of him, you know, barking at me for things <laughs> I was doing that were dumb. I, 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 I was doing that were dumb. I, uh, I realized this is the guy I need to be learning from because, I knew not just musically, but also I knew personality wise, I needed like a little, you know, kick in the ass and I knew he was going to give it to me. So I went to Southeastern university, which is where he was teaching at the time. And, uh, yeah, I was there, uh, four and a half years, you know, did the extra semester. Uh, and I did everything, man. I did, um, percussion ensemble, jazz band, jazz combo, orchestra, wind band every semester. And so that's really why I had an extra semester because I was in almost 10 credits or 12 credits every semester of ensembles. It's a lot of, a lot of playing experience, a lot of playing in a lot of different environments. Um, I was in a percussion lesson and a drum set lesson every week. Um, and a great thing about Ian, uh, was that he also, I remember sometimes he would take phone calls during a lesson for gigs (laughs) and then he would be like, this is how you speak to someone when they're trying to book you. Oh, that's, this is like, this is how you, you know, ask about money. This is how you, you know, you need to like, you need to make it known that you're not going to do it for less than this much. If they're trying to be sketchy about the money, you know, he gave me some, some life lessons as well that applied to the actual career aspect, not just the playing. So that is, that's amazing. Yeah. He was, he was cool about that. And then I really owe a lot of my transition into the professional, uh, world to him. Because, um, uh, well, you know, naturally when you're in college, you, you meet other guys and then, um, you start playing and I did a bunch of different bar gigs with some cover bands and some trios, jazz trios and stuff. And then, uh, when I finished college, 
I was really freaked out, man. I remember just like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was living in Lakeland. I knew I didn't want to live in Lakeland anymore. I didn't know how to get out of Lakeland. Um, and Ian texted me and said, Hey man, uh, Bush gardens is hiring. They need another drummer. Um, I don't want to do it, but they're asking me. So I recommended you, here's this guy, Bob Schubert's number. And I, I call, I remember I called Bob like probably two or three times a week. Um, because they weren't really in as much of a, uh, a hustle to get another drummer as I was to get the gig. Oh, right, right. You yeah. know, they needed someone, but they didn't need me immediately. Uh, but yeah, man, pretty much off of his recommendation, I remember I walked in, I met him and uh, the other guy that was there at the time, Bill Norman and uh, another manager. And before they even heard me play just off of his recommendation, they said, we'll get you over to HR in a second. We got to take you upstairs to play for a second first. But like um, like as a formality yeah, yeah just because of they knew him and they yeah. you know had him on gigs and stuff man that that's good to have that network it it was really yeah. good it really worked out um and so i i'm sorry if that's loud in the oh i, I have no idea let me put my headphones okay. back on i didn't think it was gonna <laughs> do that now can't hear it okay now, <laughs> now the listeners will be wondering yeah you'll never know you'll yeah. never know what Don't, we're hearing yeah they'll never hear this part <laughs> you'll edit it out um so yeah, that, that worked out. That really was like the catalyst into like, okay, I have like a foundation now. This is like a solid regular gig. I wasn't full time yet, but I was working at the time at least two days a week, which off of my coast college, you know, living habits was more than enough money. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, So, uh, and then within the, a year from that, I became a full time and, uh, yeah. Then Bush gardens is like, one of the best places in central Florida to meet awesome musicians or it has been at, you know, different times. It just, yeah, that's, that was, I think that you're right. That's like the, the number one thing to come out of that, you know, because any, every job, not just at every job has its frustrations, including that one. Right. But it's a great networking tool. Yeah. I feel like sometimes that can be a cop out for a job or a gig. People will be like, well, the people are great, but it really <laughs> is true. there, like, it's some of the best players in the area come through. That's how I met you. That's how I've met almost everyone else that I've worked with since then, Yeah, you know? And yeah, it's been great. Cool. Very cool. Um, so, so that must lead you then from there to what you, whatever else you're doing now. Um, I know you're doing a wedding band or several. So I do primarily, uh, I work with DeLeon entertainment and I met, uh, the son, it's a family band. I yeah. met, uh, the son, Alex, when he was working at Bush gardens Yeah, and, yeah. uh, he was at the time kind of starting like a second band. Uh, and so that's how he started hiring me. But then within a year or so it became that I was kind of the main call for the first band and for all the gigs for them. So now they're, um, they're my primary kind of like wedding corporate band that I play with. Right. Do you, do you find yourself, uh, do you find yourself like having to go and look for gigs at this point or, or do you still on like a, a hustle like you were trying to get into Bush Gardens? Right now I'm not, um, I, it's funny you should ask that because over the summer I had very few gigs. Uh, you know, it's slow for everybody, but I, uh, I literally played maybe two gigs in about a two month period. Uh, but I was working full time still, you know, still at Bush 40 hours a week. So right. it's not killing me financially. I could use the extra money, but it was kind of a nice breather. Gave me a second to kind of like regroup a little bit. Um, but the, the, the day of hustling, I believe is coming, you know, yeah. uh, I, it, and I think that should be the mindset for every working musician. Like no matter how solid a gig may be like, you know, dr- the droughts right around the corner. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> Um, I'm kind of, uh, getting some things together now as far as headshots and recordings and stuff and, uh, trying to, you know, be prepared for what could inevitably happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting headshots, resumes and all that. Um, so now, so now that makes me curious, like what, what did Ian teach you? What are some of those things? Let's how about how about this? Let's be more specific. Um, let's start with financial. What did Ian teach you about dealing with, you know, the gigs and when it comes to finances? Well, um, he he taught me to be upfront about it. It's not a personal thing. It's not a weird thing to ask about money. 
if the uh, person hiring for you makes it weird, that's on them. Mm-hmm. The fact is you're, you're, pl- you're trying to make it as a musician and uh, you got to know. So there's nothing wrong with asking. Um, you don't have to be a jerk about it. Right. But right. just being upfront and straightforward and be like, hey, how much is, you know, especially if you're driving far or anything like that, you need to know. I actually had to recently turn down. I had an offer to play. It was three gigs and it was a really cool opportunity. It was a band from New York. They do like all Disney stuff, but in like full costume. And then they, oh, they, wow. they hire out rhythm sections wherever they are. Okay. And um, the money wasn't quite good enough for me to justify having to find a lesser sub for the gigs I already had. Oh, okay. Because I, you know, there, I, you have to balance that like, like with whatever my main groups are that I'm playing with, you know, yes, you got to make money, but also you don't want to put them in a spot. You know, you got to take care of the people who are taking care of you. Right. Yeah. So, um, it was kind of one of those situations where it was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I got to turn this down. I didn't, you know, I didn't say the money's not there. The money's like, but I just say, you know, I can't, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put my regular people in a spot and I'm not going to, I can't, right. Just can't do it. Um, but that's different if it's a different situation. If you don't have a gig, what would you, what would you have done? in So that if case? I don't have a gig, I am a little more willing, especially if it's a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I might take a slightly lower payment than I would, uh, However, that can get tricky sometimes because then people think, oh, well, I can always pay you this much. Right, right. Um, so that just really depends. I, I actually haven't had to deal with that much in the past three or four years. Um, everyone I've been working with has been really, like, very gracious and um, considerate. And, um, you know, so it hasn't really had to be a thing. So I'm a little out of practice. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if I come up against, uh, come up against that again... Um, the mindset has to be like, I need X amount to go this far for this long, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I hate to say 125 because that's low. Like, you know, costs have gone up since the 70s, and 125 yeah. was the standard in the 70s, supposedly. I don't know, I'm not that old. But <laughs> um, no, I've heard the same thing that, you know, prices are the, the, the wages, right? What we get are the same as, as they, they were, were decades ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. But our living expenses have gone up. Way up, right. So I, you know, it depends on the gig. You know, if, if I really have nothing going on, it's a Friday night, it's a bar gig, I'll do it for 125, 150 maybe. Uh, well, definitely 150, but maybe 125. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, when you start getting into the world of like wedding stuff or like, you know, there, there, there's a higher level of expectation or more of your time going to be consumed or they're not going to feed you or whatever it might be. Um, then it just, it gets a little iffy. Then I'm not always totally sure. I don't, right. I don't want to spit out some numbers cause I don't really know totally right. what I should. Yeah. Somebody's going to hear this. Oh, we can book him for X right, amount. Right. But, but you're right. You make a good point that, uh, that many people don't realize when they're booking a band or, or a single musician, They'll they'll say oh but you're only playing for an hour yeah but we're there for five yeah or but it's, a, it's an only, hour and a half drive and then it's right yeah <clears throat> you're paying for time too and you're paying right. for um, the experience and and in this business like any others you get what you pay for totally and I I think whenever someone hires you know any type of performer you're not just paying them for the time that it takes for them to do whatever gig it is you're also in a sense, paying them for the time it took for them to get at a level where they're good enough to pay right. to do that thing, yeah, you know? exactly. So, like, there's a lot more time involved in people. Like, when I think about college and, like, you know, going to the practice room every, you know, day, Monday through Friday from, like, 9 to 11.30 or 9 to, you know, like, and then, like, again later on in the afternoon, like, that's a lot of time I spent by myself in like a padded room, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a crazy person, like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, how do you, how do you handle, um, well, I guess you kind of already, I was going to ask you, how do you handle your scheduling so that you don't wind up being double booked so that you don't wind up with, um, or you wind up with as few, off days as you can afford, you know, cause everybody needs off days. Right. But, 
Um, how do you how do you manage that kind of thing? It it gets a little tricky uh, because the way Bush Gardens works. So I, I'm full time there, which in the context of how they do things, what that means is um, I'm an hourly worker, and they have to give me. It used to be forty. Now it's they only have to give me thirty two. But they're they're good about trying to you know go above that. But um, so usually that pans out to five days still. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And not, not just the Monday through Friday, though. Right. So the schedule changes literally every week. And as a full-time uh, musician there, I'm kind of expected to prioritize them, rightfully so. You know, they're going to give me X amount of money every week. <laughs> yeah, so um, right. uh, that means all the other guys who are like just part-time or sometimes seasonal, uh, they kind of get or at least they should be getting prioritized on their days off, which me, but luckily they don't always honor that for me. What, what has happened is, uh, they usually prioritize whoever puts in the, the requests off first. Okay. And, uh, usually there's one or two people, you know, in the lineup who don't really do that. So then <laughs> you don't uh, have to right. end up worrying about Saturdays. Right. Um, Usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I, what I do is I try to book as far out in advance as I can. Uh, the groups that I play with mostly, which are the Leon Entertainment, I mentioned before, and then uh, Mighty Mongo, uh, which used to be original stuff and cover stuff. Now we're just doing cover band, uh, you know, top 40 gigs. And, um, but they're both really great about trying to book, you know, months out. And so I can put all those dates in and, um, it's one of those like I might not actually get it, but the request you might right. Not get the I request try. Of, yeah. it, it seems to work out most of the time, thankfully. You know, and uh, the other drummers are accommodating, uh, and we all we all try to kind of help each other out. So I I use like iCalendar and I double check my emails and I just I put everything in and then usually like the beginning of the month I'll look through you know f- the rest of that month and just double check what I got going on. You sound very professional, <laughs> and and I I say that because I I know it's like yeah duh that's kind of obvious but um, I just wrote this down right here the music business because we are our own small business right and it seems like you're you're treating it that way which yeah. is right to do um, just remembering that we are our own small business just like any other mm-hmm. you know dry cleaner or whatever else yeah. they have to handle their stuff right we have to handle and you got like it, it's i to kind of expound on that i think not only just the time management and you know planning out your schedule but your gear your gear is so important you know um as far as wedding band and corporate band stuff is concerned like your gear needs to even look like it pretty decent, you know, not, not only should you have good sounding gear, but like for most of those kind of like higher end wedding band stuff, you shouldn't be showing up with like, you know, a red floor Tom and a green (laughs) kick drum and a, you know, a gold rack Tom, unless that's their thing. Most people are going to want you to have like a pretty neutral color because a drum set's a big thing. And if you have this eyesore at, you know, someone's <laughs> wedding reception that they yeah. paid, you know, how many ever tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to have it like this fancy room with a big band and, you know, lights and everything, you know, like they're paying all this money and you got this like piece together thing, like, like you right. got to plan gear wise too, you know, that's a great observation. I hadn't even really, I mean, it's something that was subconscious, but that's a great observation. Having good, good sounding good looking gear, you know, something that will let you do the job. Right. But good looking. It was right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's absolutely right. And clothes too. I find that to be the hardest. I don't know about you, but like keeping the dress clothes clean is really, it's really a pain (laughs) because I hate, I hate taking them to the dry cleaners. I hate doing that. But like sometimes it's the only way to get them ready for the next gig. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, Let's let's go down more towards the scheduling. Tell me what like since since you're full time at Bush, tell me what a, a work day, a typical work day. I, you know, I know that things can change, and it's probably different for you in when you're just running shows, as opposed to you're in a rehearsal for one or several new shows. Right. What is a work day like for you? So as as far as the show day is concerned. Um, 
there are some pretty, uh, you know, corporate elements uh, at that gig. And it basically involves, you know, you're supposed to park first, <laughs> uh. <laughs> which is a, a note for musicians. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you clock in. And then you usually have a few minutes to kill. Like maybe you should check your costume is there, you know, make sure you have all the pieces to your costume. Um, maybe check the drums if you're the drummer or just whatever you need for your instrument. And then you'll have like a morning meeting and, uh, and sound check. One will come before the other. I don't, it depends on what show it is. Uh, and then you usually have a post show meeting after the first show. But then for the most part, you have all the breaks in between the shows are yours to pretty much do what you want. Sometimes you watch the video of the first show. Um, you watch it for critique for too. Yeah. It's a critique. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so what I've learned and it took me way too long at this gig to learn it is that, um, you should utilize those breaks to be productive. Um, okay. I've wasted a lot of years there, you know, over socializing, over hanging out. Not that that's not important. Uh, there's a time and a space for that, but, um, you know, I think it's important when you're doing a gig like that really regular to, uh, re- really regularly to utilize the time. Uh, like we have a gym on property. I go to the gym every day. You nice. know, I get paid to work out. It benefits the job. I, you know, I look, I feel better. I have more energy. Yeah. Um, I try to practice on my practice pad as much as I can, um, write charts, um, maybe read even, even though maybe it's not a direct music thing, but it's, you know, it's good for you to read. So, you know, uh, uh, I, that's my main thing is if, if anybody out there ends up in a gig like this, it can be very tempting to spend the whole time sitting on, you know, whatever comfortable seating they might have, or, you know, you know, talking to like the pretty girls or something. Yeah. yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) really like, if you can muscle the energy to like, you know, plug your headphones in. If you're a guitarist, plug it in to one of those little Vox, you know, pocket amp things, whatever they right. are, you know, use the time because, um, the gig, wherever you, the gig <laughs> that gives you all the time in the world you need to practice isn't coming. It doesn't exist. You know, right. the few guys that I've met who have done, um, you know, major tours and stuff when I've, I've, asked, I've always asked that question, you know, do you have time to practice on the road or whatever? And the, the answer is always, no, yeah, like really. I'm lucky if I get in some time, extra time at the sound check after it's set up or if I get to, you know, hit the practice pad on the bus or something, you know, right. so that gig is not out there. Like any chance you have to better yourself, take it because once that chance is gone, that chance is gone. Right. You know? Right. That's very wise advice. I didn't always take that. I let's, I mean, let's go back for a second just because we didn't clarify for anyone who's listening. Bush gardens is a theme park. <laughs> so this would apply to anybody who's working at a Disney or six flags or anything like that. Yeah. And these shows are roughly half an hour, right? And your shift is shorter now. usually about oh, yeah. 20 minutes or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your shift is like six to eight hours, depending on the day. I know weekends, because it's a big draw for the park weekends sometimes could be longer days, yeah. which means you have, you wind up having quite a bit of time towards the end of the day. Right. You know, the, uh, like you said, the mornings are taken up with, um, meetings and whatever else, whatever other corporate stuff. Right. But yeah, taking the time to, to be productive. Yeah. I, I would say too, um, kind of going back to the whole, not only is the gig that gives you all the practice time not coming, (laughs) the perfect gig isn't coming. And one thing that I've learned while I've been there is that even though there are so many things I would love to change and fix and, you know, so many things that seem like they're in reach or out of reach that fall into that category. But regardless of all that, there are so many things that are good the fact that I'm getting paid to play music at all is great. You know, it's amazing. Like I, this is a weird, I won't say his name, but I, I recently saw a local drummer who I love. I think he's one of the best players around, just an incredible player. And, um, the first thing he said to me was like, are you still Bush Gardens? I was like, yeah, man. He goes, Oh cool. What's it like to make steady money? And it like wow. kind of broke my heart because I it, it, like in like my dreams a little bit because I was like, 
this guy is like so much better than I might ever be. <laughs> wow. And he just like, it was like, oh man, okay, I am, I should be thankful. and I should not take this for granted that I have this opportunity, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, oh, look, my pencil broke. <laughs> um, again, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about college. Like how, I, I'm always interested I had a conversation with Stephen Dornfeld, mm-hmm. who we we both met at Bush, actually. Right? You met him yeah. over there. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he was telling me about his college experience and how, like, you know, he's working, practicing and learning stuff and working through stuff that he doesn't quite understand or doesn't quite know how to apply and, right. and then just one day click. You know, how much has has that happened to you that you finally later on discover, oh, that stuff I was learning back then, mm-hmm. I, I know how to use it now. And how much of that do you use uh, in, a, in a real world setting, whether it's at Bush um, or, you know, on, on a bar gig? Yeah. How much of that do you use? Um, I would say a surprising amount. And specifically what I think about when... When you, what I thought about when you were asking that is, um, you know, in college, my drum set studies were focused on, you know, swing and, you know, Latin jazz, um, basically everything that is quote unquote jazz, you know, uh, (laughs) and, uh, the Latin stuff of course is fun because everybody loves throwing that in, you know, when you're playing a backbeat and you're getting bored and it's just like, oh, this is kind of also this Latin groove. Let's do this. You know, that's always great. But then um, the swing thing has, I, and I don't claim to be able to really swing. Like, I don't think I totally have a grasp on that. But having spent as much time as I have trying to have a grasp on it, it's really allowed me to, um, to develop, I think, a little bit more of a keen ear for subtleties and grooves than guys that haven't focused on that. How so? So... You know, there's not just straight and swung. Yeah. You know, there's all this world in between and yeah. around that. And then a lot of guys that I've met who haven't really studied swing, they don't have any grasp of that in-between world. It's either metronomically straight or like almost a cumbersome, like forced swing. Okay. You know, there's yeah. nothing really in between. And so I think until you spend some, and you don't have to do it in school. I'm not saying it has to be through a collegiate, you know, or academic path. Like, um, until you really spend some time, you know, listening to, you know, Art Blakey and Tony Williams and like all these, you know, know, cats, (laughs) (laughs) um, you really don't grasp even conceptually that it's not just straight and swing. There's all sorts of other things in between and around, you know? So do you, do you need school to do what you're doing? I would say no. Okay. Uh, I would say that where I was in life, I did need it. Uh, but not because of, I couldn't have learned, not, I'm not saying I couldn't have learned these things in a different context, but with where I was with my personality and needing a certain structure, I needed a structure. Okay. You know, putting, committing to a thing like college and like the student loans and all that stuff that come along with it. You got to have that in the back of your mind. Like I'm wasting money if I'm not practicing, I'm wasting money if I'm not applying myself. Whereas if you don't do that and then you, you know, you also have to maybe work more to pay for an apartment and all sorts of things because you're not living like on campus or whatever. Um, then you can find yourself in a spot where like, there are a lot more excuses to not practice. Yeah. So it really just depends on the person, you know, if, if the structure works for you, go for it. But like, don't be bound to the structure. There are a lot of things I had to unlearn from college, not necessarily for my private lessons teacher, but a lot of like theory things because it was so classically focused, you know, and I had some really great theory teachers who were really cool, but the curriculum they have to teach you to stay, you know, accredited and everything is so focused on like a really strict classical structure. And then you get, into a gig setting and it's like, Oh no, we don't call that that. We don't write that like that. Uh What are you talking about? No, it's just this instead. It's just, it's this other way, simpler way of thinking of it. Right. Right. At the same time though, I like, okay, so you're one of the drummers here in town and wherever that I, that I work with, that I've met that 
um, like I know I can hand you a chart and if it's, if it's well-written, of course, <laughs> if it's not, then you know, who knows? Right. <laughs> that's true for anybody, but I know I can, when I write my charts, you know, for whatever I can hand you my chart and I know you're going to read it and it's going to be like no rehearsal or minimal rehearsal to get it. Right. And depending I think, on the level, <laughs> depending on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not writing Frank Zappa charts. Right. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I don't, I don't know that I, I see what you're saying, but I don't know that you can't do that. You, that you don't need school for that kind of thing. Or rather, I think the schooling helps you yeah. so much in that sense. Yeah. I, I, I guess I could concede that point um, because there isn't a lot of context to learn reading, to learn reading. Like there's a lot of context to read still, but uh, outside of school, especially in a place like Tampa, I don't think you're going to find too many, you know, gigs or situations where you're like able to learn something like that. Yeah. Maybe if it were like a busier scene with more people, you could find yourself at jams where like you're kind of getting coached to like, read better but we don't really have that as far as i know right yeah. uh yeah i don't i can't think of i can't think of what you're describing here i may have just made set. it up <laughs> <laughs> or or that's your calling to start that here yeah um we didn't so jeez <laughs> this pencil is this pencil is failing me no i'm good and we'll just we'll just push through it <laughs> um I like this quote that the perfect gig isn't coming. Um, but you know, gratitude anyways, <laughs> uh, I saw you we're in your apartment right now and you have all this gear set up, right? Do you, I know you're doing this now for a project that you're working on, but do you do that outside of this project? Do you do like remote recording or session work? If you're going to somebody's studio or something like that? Uh, no, but not for lack of wanting to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that might go back to the hustle thing. If, if I didn't have my steady gig that consumes so much of my week, okay. that would be something that I would, uh, try to get off the ground. It's something I would love to get off the ground, but you know, currently to have any sort of uh, semblance of, you know, social life or, you know, relationships, <laughs> uh, outside of what I'm already doing, there's just isn't space to, right get that going <laughs> uh speaking of speaking of which and now again back to the schedule um what i have what i have found and what i how i think of it is that we musicians often have a schedule that's opposite from everybody else in the real world oh yeah we're working at nights mm-hmm. we're uh, we're we're working often when people want to go out Right. They all want to go out and hang and listen to a band. That's when we're working. So yeah. how do you manage your social life? Um, well, thankfully, uh, thankfully, I'm dating someone who is down with that schedule okay. and yeah, uh, it great. works um, because she appreciates, like I, I, I love like the whole, what you just said, how it's like, you know, the opposite thing whenever they want to go out, you know, we're working. But whenever I want to go out, no one's out. Yeah. And right. I like that. I like going, you know, to a bar or something and it's like, Oh cool. There are three people here. Great. <laughs> it's going to be quiet. I can just sit here and have a drink and a conversation and not, you know, yeah. be overwhelmed by the room. So, I mean, occasionally it's nice to go out to a crowded place or whatever, but, um, you know, in general, I, li- I like, I like when I'm running my errands on like a Tuesday, you know, early afternoon or whatever. Yeah. Oh, no one's on the road. This is great. Right. No one's in line at whatever store I'm in. This is great. Like, it, so in a lot of ways that works out, um, pleasantly, but it can be, it can be, it can be a lot. Um, especially because I, even though, you know, you complimented me and said I was professional and how I, uh, organize my schedule and I try to be, but I, it's very outside of my gigs and work life. I struggle to schedule things ahead of time. So that's more of a personal thing. Like okay. I, I, uh, I'm a bit of a golden retriever. I've been told where, uh, I don't know what that means. I'm only focused on one thing at a time, but I'm very easily distracted to be focused on another thing. Gotcha. But then I forget about the first thing, you know? So do you write the stuff down in your calendar? I mean, I've found, I, I'm like that. I have to write it down. And if it's not in my calendar, my, my wife will get on me from time to time. And I say, I didn't see it in the calendar. Yeah. if, If I don't make some sort of note or have some kind of, you know, Reminder, I, yeah. I will forget. Yeah. 
Just keep it. Just keep it written down. Yeah, I can barely remember how old I am. So, <laughs> do you mind if I ask? Uh, I'm 29. I'm glad you remembered yeah. that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, let's see. I didn't have. I have a blank page here. <laughs> oh, tell me about Florida Orchestra. Oh, Florida Orchestra with Jeremy Douglas. Uh, and a list of other amazing names that yeah, I don't probably yeah. yeah just everyone is incredible I I love it man I lo- it's such a great it's it's such an honor to have been asked and to continue to be asked um, the founding drummer was Dave Hamar and who's been on this podcast yeah, yeah I, I listened to that interview and Dave is Dave actually I want to give a shout out to because Dave I think aside from Ian has probably thrown me more gigs than any other person and uh, continues to do so. I don't know why, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but great guy, great drummer. um, And to kind of fill his shoes, I suppose, is is an honor and a challenge and a bit of a like, you know, it's a bit stressful sometimes because I'm like, I'm a different player than he is and I don't want to try to play like him. Um, And thankfully, it's not really original music. So I don't have to necessarily try to emulate him, but I want to try to emulate some of what he brings to the group, you know. But uh, um, I can't imagine that. Jer- I know Jeremy, and he he probably wouldn't ask you to. He would be never. Like yeah, yeah. Jeremy's so great. That's great. He's yeah. an incredible music director, a great person. Uh, and that project. Uh, so the gigs that I've done, uh, the, the primarily are like um, tribute shows. Yeah. Uh, the one I did was George Michael and Madonna and um, edit this because I can't remember the other one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then also I've done a Buffy Fest um, and Buffy Fest is a, basically it's not just a show. It's kind of an extravaganza with booths and uh, actors from the original Buffy the Vampire show. Wow. And uh, it's just it's it's a thing that uh is an incredible idea of Jeremy's to tap into. So to kind of be a part of something where it's like, Oh, this dude's tapping into something that no one else is and kind of know, like probably in the world, there's no one else really tapping into the Buffy thing. Right. It's like, that's fun. It's fun. It's very rewarding musically. Um, it's, Oh, so musically I will say for that, almost everything that I do is to a click track at Bush gardens shows are, you know, mapped out time code, click track, even my wedding band gigs are click track. When I'm playing Mighty Mongo uh, bar gigs, I use my Roland SPDSX and I tap tempo and then start a click so that everything we're doing is to a click. I mean, it's you know it varies from night to night, but right. we still are solid. Right. Uh, and the orchestra is really the only thing I've done in the last couple of years that doesn't use a click at all. Even you know the church gigs that you know I do with yeah. you, they're all to a click. Right. So it is such a refreshing and anxiety filled challenge anxiety to, yeah mm-hmm. to to play with you know not just a rhythm section but strings and horns and you know four or five singers and a percussionist and you know everybody and you know you like the last the last thing we did was the George Michael Madonna uh show and during um the George Michael song um i can't remember what it's called uh faith was it no it's not faith hold on it's uh, freedom, freedom, freedom. Ninety. I don't know how you say it. That song. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's a bit of an anthem. This song, freedom, and there was a point where you know the energy was just overwhelming because of there were you know dozens of people in the audience dancing like. And, you know, I don't want to get political with it or whatever, but there were like, you know, generations of parents and their kids and stuff. And like, you could feel this like unity, like thing, this like, oh, wow, everyone's really having a moment here. Um, And I'm used to feeling some of those kinds of things, but not without a click. So, you know, you feel that energy and you know, you feel everyone wanting to push, including yourself. And so then you're trying so hard to hold it. (laughs) So that challenge is... uh, because you don't want to kill the moment by letting yeah. it move too much, right. but you don't want to kill the moment by not letting it move enough. So finding that balance and like trying to keep the state, not just in the musical pocket, but in like kind of that energy emotional pocket is, uh, 
it's you, a really fun challenge that I feel honored to like get to approach with them. Do you think you accomplished that? I think we that? did that yeah. night. I think we did. And um, part of doing that, I think, is uh, realizing that you can't do it on your own because you're not the only one playing, yeah. you know? So just kind of uh, embracing the group and what's happening with the group and, you know, letting them know, no, it's here if it starts to move. But also like letting them know, I hear you though. Yeah. I hear, I feel what you're trying to say. Right. You know? Yeah. You have to be listening and it, you can't just ignore somebody. Oh, you're, you know, you're too playing too fast and, and just ignore it. You have right. to, yeah. Cause then it tears and then it's. <clears throat> any, um, any lessons that you've learned from specifically from those real world gigs of something that you've done wrong? Or maybe like you've some music director or some something that that has taught you don't do this again <laughs> or you know what something like that. I I think that I've experienced similar moments to what I've just described, and my reaction has been I'm going to play this really crazy fill because it's cool and everyone's engaged, so they'll be aware of how cool this thing is <laughs> I can do, uh-huh. and it just kills it. You know, it just not that a crazy thing can't necessarily happen in those moments. I'm not saying that, but I think because my mindset was I'm going to do this thing here now, it ruined it as opposed to just letting it happen if it was supposed to happen right. or, you know, felt right or whatever. Okay. Um, so I think I, so you asked earlier about, um, if things that I worked on in college, like if they started to click or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes you practice something and you think you should play it just because you've been practicing it. Uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's just not true. <laughs> just not. So I think that's a lesson I've learned. It's like, just because you got something in your pocket doesn't mean you got to show everybody. Like, right. It might not be pertinent at all. <laughs> that's, that's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what would you say? What would you say if somebody came up to you? What? So this, this, the purpose of this podcast is, not really age dependent. And I know we'll, we hear, you know, from the greats and they always, I, I hear a lot of it. I've listened to a lot of interviews in preparation for all of this. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the young musicians? <laughs> and I don't want to limit that. And what would you say to anybody who wants to do this more seriously and take this, you know, to their, to their next level? What does it take to think, be a working pro? Yeah. I think it takes, you know, first off it takes time. You got to, you know, I think every day, um, I went one time at band camp, <laughs> <laughs> I went to a Jamie Abersall jazz camp one year. And if I recommend that first off, if anybody likes jazz at all, if you're studying jazz, trying to play, no matter how old you are, yeah. Jamie Abersall jazz camp, yeah. it's amazing. Um, but I remember, um, my theory teacher for the, my music theory class that I was in for that, he, he was from the Thelonious Monk Research Institute of Music or something like that. But he was saying all of their research shows that if you skip a day of not touching your instrument, that's like the worst thing. Like as far as if you're trying to get better or whatever, like skip a day of practice, uh, skip a day of touching it at all. Not even just like, not even necessarily practicing, just not playing it. Yeah. Um, He basically said, you know, think of it as like, for every day you don't touch your instrument, it's two days back. Wow. You're not only staying, you're not staying the same. You got a little worse. Wow. And I don't know how true that is, but I try to keep that in mind where it's like, okay, every day, a little bit of something, you know, right. even if it's five minutes on the practice pad or whatever it might be. Um, so time practice, you know, you got to practice. And I would say the next thing is have a, you know, a, good attitude, like be positive about be positive about yourself, but be honest about yourself, you know, recognize that you have weaknesses, that you have things to improve on and be open to hearing criticisms. I think so quickly people can sh- I've been this, I've been this person. I still am this person sometimes where I shut off to someone because they're, they're critiquing me or criticizing me, but really that's what I need. That's what I want. That's what I crave. That's, that's why I went to the school I went to was cause I knew that Ian was going to give that. Right. You know? Um, so I think, I think you gotta like maintain a good attitude while also opening yourself up 
to the worst criticisms because otherwise, how do you know what to work on, you know? And then three is, you know, networking. You got to, you got to meet people. (laughs) How do you meet people? Got to go to jam sessions. Uh, you got to go to other people's gigs. You got to, now you have to do social media stuff and I don't claim to know how to do that (laughs) because I don't really see how people get, you know, how, I don't know how that works totally. But you got to do something. You got to like people's videos. You got to comment on them. You got to message them. You got to whatever, you know, tag them and stuff. I don't know. But uh, you got to just reach out basically in whatever way you can. And uh, I I think also if you're at a place where you can take lessons financially and skill level wise, like do that. Teachers are always good connections. Um, Do you still keep in touch with the people that you went to school with? Uh, teachers or oh anybody I, I, I still talk to Ian semi-regularly uh, met up with him for a coffee a few weeks back uh, I talked to a couple other friends not too many people that I went to school with are still doing music at least on a professional really? level yeah that's a, that that's a little surprising I, I asked that because I know school is a good place to network too yeah and and in my case um, I, I mean we're in Florida now but I went to school in New Jersey so I don't have that con- that you know connection right. right there, that immediate connection. But I I do know that a bunch of the people I went to school with, they were playing gigs together in college, and some of them are still playing together. That's cool. You know, uh, they're all up in New York. Yeah, but I know that's like that's an important thing. But yeah, I <clears throat> actually I would say I outside of the music teachers and band directors that I went to school with, I don't really know for sure of anyone who is still doing it at least you know, for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I, I agree with you, um, that reminding yourself and being, um, having that gratitude that we're doing that, that we're playing music for a living. And that's, it's an amazing thing. Um, what's next for you, man? Um, so currently I'm working on an original project, uh, with a couple of the guys from mighty Mongo. Um, we have a working name, but I won't share it because one of the guys doesn't like it. Um, (laughs) so, uh, that's a thing that I hope to get off the ground. That's kind of a new world for me. I am, uh, you know, full disclosure here working on my piano playing and my singing. Uh, One of the other guys who doesn't, hasn't really sang in the past. He's also working on singing. So we're trying to kind of whatever we can get out of that. You know, we don't really necessarily think we're going to I, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, you're starting a band, you're trying to be famous. It's not that. Yeah. Like, we just want to get our music out to whoever wants to hear it. And hopefully, we do some live shows that are fun for, you know, if it's five people, it's five people. That's, yeah. you know, hopefully they're fun and connect to them. Um, so that's, that's kind of the main thing. Job wise, career, career wise, <laughs> uh, I really don't know. Um, I'm open to a lot of things. I really would like to do a tour of some sort, uh, at some point in my life. Yeah. Just, to know what it's like. I might hate it. I know a lot of guys have done tours or cruise ships or whatever, and they, it's not for them. Right. Uh, but you don't know until you you've don't done know. It. Yeah. Yeah. So just whatever comes, you know, trying to be as prepared as I can for whatever the next thing is. Right. <laughs> Where can, um, so back to the networking and social media, where can we find you? Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, I am at Lance drum love. <laughs> where, where did that come from? <laughs> uh, I also really like quest love. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then on Facebook, it's just Lance Cox, uh, and YouTube. I believe my YouTube channel is also Lance drum love, but there's a link to it on my Instagram so you can find it there. Okay, cool. So everything's on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram's the Instagram is the jam. That's where I'm on that mostly too. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep up with. I don't it know, is, man. Know how it's, people do it, especially trying to keep up like a real, you know, real work. And like, I don't understand how people are, you know, at sound check or a rehearsal. I need both hands. How do you How do you have time for your phone? I'm still trying to plug stuff in. Yeah, the best <laughs> I can do is like if I use my GoPro. I get some decent footage, but then like that, you got to go, you got to load it up to your computer and yeah. you got to like, you know, sit there and edit. Hours of a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two hours of really bad playing for this three minutes that are kind of interesting to me. <laughs> Maybe other people might like it. I don't know. Right. You know, so. 
I know. That's the that's the grind. Yeah. The music <laughs> grind. Ah, ah he, he said the thing. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Th- um, Lance, I appreciate you doing this, man. Hey, man. Thank you. Thanks. It's been an honor. Thanks for having no, me. No, it's honor is mine. Yeah. Thanks, man. We shook hands. You couldn't see it, but... <laughs> We did shake hands. Uh, I don't know why. I really have no idea. But we did shake hands and you did not see that. That was Lance Cox. Um, He's a great drummer, great friend of mine. And uh, you should go check him out at Lance Drum Love on Instagram and on Twitter. And see if he's able to keep up on social media. He said he's not so good at it, but, you know, follow him and see uh, see if he's right. Also, follow me, this podcast, and me uh, as an individual um, at Music Grind Podcast for the podcast. That's on Instagram. I don't have a Twitter or a Facebook for this podcast because I, I just can't do it. And uh, but you can find updates at Music Grind Podcast on Instagram or send me an email at Music Grind. Uh, sorry. <laughs> wrong music grind podcast at gmail.com is the email so send me whatever comments questions uh, whatever you might have um or go visit the website uh that i have and you can find all the episodes so far and any future ones uh music simple enough you can of course always find this on um apple podcast on stitcher on spotify so please go and subscribe uh comment on it leave a review and share it with your friends if you want if you're enjoying it for me if you are at all interested in me uh i hope you are but i don't know why you would be sorry that's that's bad isn't it that's bad right that's uh that that um what is it called the uh, de- deprecating uh self-deprecating humor Anyways, at TDV Music, uh, that's me, at TDV Music on Instagram, um, or tdvmusic.com is my website, and it has a bunch of stuff. It has a link to my YouTube. Uh, you can always find me there. Uh, all right, cool. So next episode will be in two weeks. I am actually going to be taking a break at the end of the year, so uh, no... No episodes coming out in December. I'll be back like mid-January, maybe even February. Just taking a little bit bit of a break. Do some prep. Do some family time and, and all that stuff. Um, so look for the this next episode that's coming out. And then we'll be back or I'll be back in 2019. Everyone out there, thanks for listening and stay safe. So you were just telling me a story where you met, um, you met, you had a slow day today at Bush Gardens, uh, and for for that park, it's like three thousand people in the whole park, thirty people at your at your particular show. And tell tell me what you were thinking. So um, I think uh, the context of you know thirty people at a show, this venue. I think you can fit about a thousand people in the venue. So when you have 30 people, yeah, it feels empty, like yeah. you're playing a slow bar gig or something or a wedding where no one's dancing. You know, you have this kind of like, uh, what are we even doing? Like, why don't we just go home? Like, right. Yeah. What's the point? But as the curtain was opening, I, I looked across and I looked at, you know, the members of the band who everyone who was up there and I, I was just like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna give who these. Was people- who was in the band? Watts Shimura, yeah, incredible uh, bass player. Anthony Santanello, great guitarist, and AJ McCrowski, great, amazing keyboard player, and all these guys bring it every time. So and and these I, are cats that, like, if you do go for it, they can follow you. Yeah, yeah. And looking at them, I knew I was like, I know they're gonna go for it anyway. Yeah. I know they don't care if there are four people in the audience or whatever. So I'm just gonna do it. And you know, we did. It was a great show. It was like high energy from beginning to end, you know, we're all sweating and tired at the end. 16 minute, you know, aerobic musical workout. Come off the stage. We do a, we do meet and greets post show. And this woman comes up to me and she's holding her phone open 
and usually they want to take a picture with everyone or whatever. Right. And, and, but she kind of singles me out, which doesn't usually happen. They don't usually single band members out. And she's like, you, you, my husband would, would have wanted to meet you. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's sweet. And she's like, my husband was John Blackwell. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. John Blackwell. Okay. Wow. And she shows me, you know, she has his Instagram open. She's like, I run his Instagram now. I just wanted to connect with you. Like that was a great show. And then I, I was like, okay, well, you have to come over and meet Watts because Watts a few years ago recorded with John Blackwell and they instantly recognized each other yeah. and kind of had like, a, oh, you know, they had this moment. It was very, uh, it just drove home to me the whole like, it doesn't matter the context. If you're going to play your instrument, if you're going to, you know, quote unquote perform, you shouldn't be, this is a quote, another quote from Aversol <laughs> Jazz Camp that has always stuck with me. The difference in performances is, are you performing to impress people or are you performing to express something? And so you should always be performing, I think, to express something. And in that moment, what I thought was, these people paid a lot of money to get in this park. Some of them probably traveled from far away. Yeah, I'm going to express to them that I care about that and that I want them to have a good time. And it paid off, you know? I made a great, you know, had a great moment connecting with this person who's a wife of a drummer that I've looked up to for years and, yeah. you know, and yeah. That is a great moment. And you're, you're right. It's that, it's that whole thing of bringing your A game even when you don't want to, you know? Right. And like you, like you were saying, especially when you don't want to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When the, when the energy isn't provided for you by a big crowd mm. or people who are just dying to hear you play. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, you've got the energy, you've got the passion, like bring it yourself, make it happen, you know? 